We're going to be looking at chapter 2 in John, verses 1 through 12. I'm sure many of you know by now, and if you don't know, you're going to learn today that I like to fly fish. I like to fly fish a lot. You know, I, I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And one of the things that I, I like about fly fishing is the new gear. I just, I love gear. I like the way it looks. This is one of the reels that I own. It's pretty stylish. I think it's kind of got good colors to it. And over the years, when I was learning how to fly fish, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to figure out what was the best gear. Because gear is pretty essential. You know, it looks good and all that. There's certain gear that I'll buy that I, I was like, I, I never knew I needed that, and I still don't think that I need that, but I would buy it anyway. But there are really two really essential elements or two essential gear, two pieces of gear equipment that you really need. One of them's the rod and one of them's the reel. Uh, so here's a picture of the reel that I have. The reel is particularly important. Uh, the rod is important, but the reel is important to keep that fish from taking line and going in places that you don't want it to go. I spent a lot of money on gear. Sometimes one time I bought a rod. It was one of the high-end rods, like a couple hundred dollars or something like that. Get this rod. I take it out. I start casting with it, and all of a sudden it starts falling apart. Did this a couple times, and I was really, really disappointed. So I sent the rod back, and I never purchased from that company again. There's a time me, Mark Halfacre, and Kevin Lambertson decided to take a trip. They won't talk too much about it because it wasn't really a trip to remember, but it was a, a trip that we went to New York City. And for this trip, I purchased this reel in this picture here. And this company was a new company, up-and-coming company, but a lot of claims were made about this company, how great this company was, how their reels performed under very duress situations. They were the reel that you could absolutely depend on. So I purchased this reel, but this was going to be the test of a lifetime for this reel because we were going to New York City to pursue one of the awesomest fish out there, the greatest fish of all time, the steelhead. So if you've heard about the steelhead, the steelhead is a migratory rainbow trout and it swims from the, the lake areas into the river areas two times a year. And these fish can run upwards to 35 miles an hour when they are hooked. So they can scream and take line off of your reel, never ever to be seen again. Not only do they run that fast, but they jump. Numerous, numerous, numerous times they jump. So there we are. I have this new reel and I'm, I'm worried about it. But I didn't have to worry for the, almost the entire trip because we didn't catch anything. Three days into the trip, nothing. Well, Kevin actually hooked a bunch of fish, but he didn't land them. So I don't know if it was operator error or real, but we're not here to remind Kevin of what the fish that he lost down there. But there we are, and it's literally the last hour that we're going to go. We're, we have one more hour left, basically. Mark Halfacre is on the bank freezing cold. It was May in New York. I think it was raining out that time. And I'm praying. I mean, I, I am praying hard at this point. I'm like, Lord, please. I, you know, all I can think about is that eight-hour ride home or how six-and-a-half-hour ride home and the shame, humiliation, and just depression that is about to set in. 
Because we planned, so I tied like 80,000 flies for this trip. I only used one the entire time. I don't know what happened down there, but I was like on, I was desperate at this point, casting, 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 casting. And then all of a sudden, boom, it happens. And let me tell you something, that fish lived up to its reputation. It started taking out lines so fast, I thought my reel was going to disintegrate into a ball of flames. And it jumped repeatedly. And I said, I'm never, I'm never going to land this fish. And now I'm praying in a completely different direction at this point, right? Lord, don't let me go home this goat. Don't let me go home. Let me go home a sheep. Let me go home in honor. I had to ask myself, can I trust the real? Are the claims that have been made about the real going to be found true? We'll get back to that story. Just like the claims that are, there are claims made about products, claims made about those products that we purchase and their reliability, and there are claims that are made about people, aren't there? Right? We point people in a certain direction. Hey, if you want good woodworking done, you go to Dave McCalman, right? Because he does a job. He does a good job. If you want this done, go to him. Those claims up until this point have been made about Jesus Christ, haven't they? He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He will take away the sin of the world. He has the power to do it. He has the power to change your life. All of those claims have been made about Jesus. Jesus made those claims about himself. Eventually, he's going to say so in the gospel. John the Baptist has made those claims. And because of those claims, there is a small band of believers now that are following him. And we find them going to a wedding. And Jesus is invited. He is no ordinary guest. As a matter of fact, he's going to be the main attraction. And those that have decided to follow him are just about to find out who they placed their trust in. We're going to be looking at a passage that is extremely familiar. It is the turning of the water into wine. And really, what we're going to be seeing here is the start of what happens and the finish of what happens and the conclusion of all of that. So I've broken this up into three stages. Beginning with the first stage, there is no wine. Verses 1 through 4. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not come. This is a really familiar... How many people have heard the story of the turning the water into wine? And I will tell you that there are about as many interpretations and sermons of this story as there are fly reels out there. Trust me. There is a lot, and there's a lot of application that we can get from this story. But I'm going to focus on what I believe is 
John's main point for inserting this story into the gospel because he kind of tells us at the end. So it's probably been less than a week or a week or so since John the Baptist has introduced Jesus. And he has this small band of followers, and now, that, now they're invited to this wedding. I chose the Gospel of John particularly to focus on Jesus. It's really great. I was talking to someone last week uh, about one of the passages, uh, and they reminded me something. And it's just a simple reminder, but the reminder was, it's always about Jesus. Isn't that true? It's what it boils down to. And because I chose John, I wanted us to learn about Jesus, grow closer to Jesus, learn more about him. So when we come to a passage, we can kind of just get to this main part of the passage of when the miracle is performed. But I want us to see something here that we, we may kind of gloss over here that Others have, I think, rightly pointed out, Jesus is going to a wedding. He's going to a very important event, a social event, a communal event. Jesus is no aesthetic. And the commentators, some of the commentators rightly point out that during this time, there were certain communities, one of them being the Qumran community, that were known from separating themselves from life. And sometimes we we think of spirituality and we think of godliness as what? Separation. And removing ourselves from areas or places or doing things that could become sinful or could become dangerous. But here, when when we're talking about Christ we see that he's involved in his society. He's involved in the everyday, ordinary lives of those around him. And it is in those areas that God reveals himself to us. Now, we could go in the opposite direction, and people have done this, and you could take this passage and be like, Jesus drank, you should too. And I've I've heard pastors use this passage as a pretext that Jesus was some sort of partier. That's not true either. And if we we go in either direction, right, we're not interpreting Scripture properly. But what we can see is that Jesus was involved. He's involved in the everyday, day in, day out, ordinary lives of those around him. And it is in those areas that we get to see God work. He does it in our lives. He does it in the lives of others around us. The daily communal aspects of life. And Jesus is about to reveal what happens just when he is involved in those aspects of our lives. Because he's about to show his disciples something incredible. There's this, we all know how important weddings are. And the planning of weddings. And the all the time that leads up to them, and everyone gets very, very excited. And you want it to be the what? The perfect day, don't you? You don't want anything to go wrong. There's a magazine that had people send in their worst wedding disasters. They wanted to hear from the people who experienced them. 
This lady says, where shall I start? The cat ripping my dress the night before a wedding. That's why I would never own a cat. To be, I would never own a cat to begin with, but there's another reason why. Or my, or my utter vile, utterly vile mother-in-law whispering to me that day that I looked fat. Wedding day. Or the fact that she was wearing black, mourning the loss of her son. Yeah, <laughs> this is on the wedding day. Congratulations, you're fat. I mean, that's just terrible. How about the, the, the ring bearer who was walking up and then all of a sudden had this weird look on his face, arrived to the altar without the ring, and then they discovered it was in 10-inch grass where all the, the, the guests and even the groomsmen and everyone were on their hands and knees looking for that ring for a half an hour. How about the roaring drunk father the Irish father, who got roaring drunk, and at first he was funny, but then he decided to drive his car. Several people intervened, punches were thrown, the police were called, and he spent the night in a jail cell. Then there was the, the bride who was getting her picture taken, standing on a bank when her younger brother decided to yank the back of her hair causing her to go head over heels all the way down a hill, landing on some guy's grave, all in the pouring rain. I know, that's pretty... Do you feel how... There's, that's like shame, humiliation, and it's on the day that is so important. Things haven't changed from the past. These weddings here were extremely important. The parties for these weddings would last up to seven days, a week long. And what was about to happen, or what has happened, was no mere social faux pas. There is no wine. And we look at that, we're like, oh, okay, you just go down to Walmart, you know, you can buy some more wine, you can refuck, whatever. This was a huge disaster in the making. This wedding was about to take a turn for the worst. Here's what commentators say about this. So there's, a, there's an idea of a social contract that happens within these communities. So say I invite all of you one time to my, my wedding, and you all have a good time, and I give you certain things at that wedding. There's plenty of wine. Everyone has a lot of time to hang out and all of these things. And then you have a wedding. I can expect the same from your wedding. You need to do exactly kind of what I did because that's part of this social contract. So here's, if that gets broken in any way, shape, or form, and wine was huge for these weddings, here's what can happen. The marriage would be forever branded a disgrace. So now that's it. You've sealed your fate. Your marriage is a disgrace. The host family would be shamed. The newly married couple would carry a social stigma of shame for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Not only that, their children would carry that stigma as well as their children's children. All for no wine. They said, who would ever want to arrange a marriage with any of their offspring, the legacy of such a disastrous marriage feast. Whatever joy had been toasted at this point would be turned into anger, scorn, and derision. And here's the good one. Some commentators suggest that those other families who had previously hosted this family at their respective marriage feasts 
would have grounds for lawsuit. That's right, I am taking you to court because you ran out of alcohol. And the servants that participated in that wedding would never work a wedding in that town again. So we are on the brink. When Mary turns to Jesus, this is a disaster. This is a social disaster for the host, and it's a social disaster for the bride and for the groom as well. Do you think God knew that? Do you think Jesus just, and it's funny, with the invitation here actually is in the singular, so it is Jesus who is invited to the wedding. He brings his disciples with him. He goes to this wedding, and there he is. He just so happens to be here at this time when there is a disaster about to happen. How often is it? in our lives, that in order, in order for you and I to see God work, doesn't he bring us to the end of our resources? Doesn't he allow those things to happen in our lives so that we can be reminded of who he is? I know that's the case for me. I don't know how often I go through weeks and days and months depending on myself, depending on my skills, depending on my abilities, depending on what I can do. And then God brings something into my life and I'm like, oh yeah, there you are. Forgot to be dependent. This marriage, this wedding is headed in a very certain direction, and it's not a good thing. But what does Mary do? And it is what we should all do. She shows some faith in Jesus, doesn't she? What does she do? She tells Jesus. Now, it's uncertain how much Mary knew about Jesus up to this point, like what he could do, but she remember what she has experienced about him till now. She remembers the angel telling her about the birth, right? She remembers the, the shepherds and the wise men and all of that. She remembers what Simeon said, and she did what? She treasured all of those things in her heart. So she knows that Jesus is different. And if anyone can make a difference in this situation, it's Jesus. First, pretty practical step is what? Just tell Jesus. You have a problem are you, are you out of your resources? You, you, you lost hope? Whatever it is, just tell Jesus. Now, what Jesus says to her is very interesting. It's been interpreted a variety of ways. And it's, it's not so much a rebuke as a reminder. Their relationship is now changed. And Jesus is not at the, the whim of people's beckoning call where he can just kind of do certain activities. His main activity is going to be on the cross. That is his main activity in life. That's his goal. And basically what he's saying to Mary here is he's like, I'm going to do something not just on behalf of this wedding party. I'm going to do something on behalf of the entire world. That's why I came. 
And he kind of just gently reminds her of that relationship. But she's not deterred by it. And I think he's doing something that he does in, throughout his life. He kind of challenges people, doesn't he, sometimes? He kind of challenges their faith. Gives a little pushback to see what they are going to do next. And she's not deterred because she talks to the servants. She has faith in him. She doesn't know what he's going to do, but she lets him know the problem. Second stage that I see here is just water. Verses 5 through 8. So his mother, then, after she tells him, she's not deterred by what Jesus says, which I think also expresses the fact that it wasn't an outright rebuke. It was just kind of a mild, inflexible response. She turns to the servants now. And she says, whatever he says to you, do it. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, and then he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. If you, if you want to have fun with this text here, you can look up, I did, and just Google, can you turn water, and I'm so glad it's the word water because I get to say that repeatedly right now, I know, shaking your heads, water, 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 water. If you turn water, can you turn water into wine, right? You just type that into the old Google search. What do you think the answers are? Do we, do we, do we see a yes? Do you think you can turn water into wine if you Google that? Sure, absolutely, right? Because everyone can do everything. And we're in, you know, 2021, we should be able to turn water into wine. So I did that. I look up Google and I come to this one forum. So here's, here's some of the answers to can you turn water into wine? Yes, just straight out. I'm just going to come out and tell you. That's what the guy says. Oh, I used to do this regularly in my college days. Oh, now we're, I'm impressed. You? It's really quite simple. It's easy. How does he start? Okay, take two liters of water. So we got that. That's what Jesus has, right? Two, he's, got, he's got more than that. But we got water. We got the main ingredient. Add, whoa, wait a second. He says, add frozen concentrated fruit juice of your choice. Does that, do you guys have that in your description? Jesus sent, no. Uh, and then it says, okay, so, we, all right, we added a little bit more. I mean, come on, we're human, right? We got to be able to add some stuff. So then it says, make sure you cover it, and then let your container of magical water, oh, it says add yeast. Wait a second, now we're adding more. And add, oh, it says add sugar. And then let it sit for several days. Is that, Jesus did this in several Days, I can't, no, after several days, the miracle of water to wine will be complete. And then you can invite your friends to witness and enjoy the miracle that you have wrought. I'm, I'm kind of, did, 
you, you know there's kits? There's kits out there. Oh, I'm sorry, plain water. That's a, yeah, there's, here's the kit. Turn your water into wine kit. You can go, so I, does it say, and Jesus turned to Nathaniel, and he said, go down to the cane of Costco, and, and grab me one of those water twine kits. Nathaniel, don't be skeptical of this. Just don't ask questions. Just go ahead and get the kit. I'm going to do something awesome. Is that what it says here? What did Jesus have to work with? Water. That's it. He did. It's, it's crazy because we come to these passages. And even sometimes as, as believers, we try to make sense of it. Guess what? It's a It's a miracle. <laughs> It's what he does. All he had to work with was water. Jesus didn't need anything because he has everything. Jesus didn't need anything because he created everything. He didn't even really need the water. But I think he's saying something here. He takes that which is everyday ordinary, simple, and he does what? He transforms it into something he is not. I think we do need to take from this. So many times we, we, we go to Jesus with our problems or we go to Christ and we tell him but then we don't want to listen to what he says. And Mary does the right thing. She's like, what? She just backs out of the situation. She's like, I'm done. I told Jesus, I'm going to let him handle this situation. And then what does she say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you to do. Because he's going to have the best solution to our problem. Our life. And he's the only one. Who can change it, isn't he? It's a simple message, but a profound reality. Let him work. Once you tell him, let him do what he needs to do in you. Let him do what he needs to do in your situation. You and I, we're going to mess it up. We're going to be getting the Costco kits. We're going to be like, Jesus, you need this? Come on, I got this, Jesus. Look at all these resources I got, Jesus, just for you. Let him do what he needs to do. But ultimately, this is about Jesus transforming something. Christian chemistry. This is the properties of water, properties of ethanol. There's a missing property, which is carbon. It's not there. How come he can do he can do this? And when they take this to the head water, head head water, head water, they take this to the head waiter, the water is already transformed. It's already done. Was it days? No. He transforms it into this because he has the power to do it. I can transform water, I can change water into steam, I can change it into ice, I can't change it into wine. Can you really change water into wine? And then one guy says, water into ice, that's nice. Water into wine, that's divine. Okay, I guess I never heard of that either. 
He changes this, and this is what took place here at this obscure wedding 2,000 years ago. Why? He's revealing something about himself. Remember what John said earlier. This is the word who did what? He created the heavens and the earth. That is the power that Jesus Christ has. He has the power to change things just by talking to him. He doesn't even say anything here. He didn't even need the water there. And he transforms it just like that. And I think that the, the seven ceremonial purification jars, I think there is an, an allusion there, a reference there, that the age that Jesus is now beginning here is the new age. And everything that he does is going to be better. That that old age is passing away because the Messiah has arrived. In the beginning, God created. He created the laws of nature and he can break them. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I think sometimes we, we tend to forget. And Jesus is just off in the corner there. And we, we begin to treat him just as another ordinary wedding guest. We have all these problems that are going on in our lives and we're not turning to him or trusting in his power. We forget who he is. We forget what he can do for us, what he can do for others. And we're kind of satisfied with just getting by. And what happens is a disaster. A disaster in our lives. If Jesus can do this, what can he do for you and me? Can he change us? If Jesus can change water into wine in a matter of seconds, how much can he change us over a lifetime? Do we believe that? I hope so. The result is not just better, but it's the best. Good wine. So you see the stages where it started out? We started out with no wine, just water, and now we have good wine. What happened? Well, the water met Jesus. Verses 9 through 10. So they take it to the head waiter. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine at this point, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, What are you doing? Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. A uh, chaplain in the Marines tells a story of this Gulf War miracle. He said that they had to build a, a support logistic base uh, in a place called Cabrit. And they, they picked this area for some very specific reasons, but there was a problem in this area. 
that they had to build this base during the Gulf War. The area had no water. And they needed 1,000 gallons of water a day for this marine force that was now located there. They, they were digging all over the place. They were asking the locals. They were asking all the surrounding areas. No water whatsoever. He says that he, was, he became a Christian in 1976. And he entered into the military. And ever since that time, he would have daily morning devotionals. And this didn't stop him during this time. And during this time, he was a chaplain. And he was leading his troops in his devotionals. And they were praying every morning that God would grant them this water. And this is a huge request. This isn't like a drop of water. This was a thousand gallons of water a day. So finally, they were there, one chapel service, and in came a colonel, and he said, General, I need to show you something. So he takes him out, and he drives him down this road that they had passed down hundreds of times. And they see this large tower, and what's the tower? It's a water well. They go up to the tower, and there's this machine there, and it says, push the button. They push the button, and it begins to do what? Pump out all of this water. So after a while, he wanted to check to see what the flow was. What do you think the flow was? More than enough. 1,000 gallons of water a day. I look at that story, and I look at this story, and I think that sometimes we expect this much from God. We don't expect him to answer our big prayers like that. And we don't expect him to give us the best. We think we got all of that already. I recently got a book. It's called Pray Big. I was going to suggest it for your prayer group. It's by Alistair Begg. And and the title just intrigued me because I don't don't pray big all the time. And, And my prayers, my asking of God, I think reflects my faith in him, doesn't it? What do we think that God can do for us? Because he transforms this situation. It was headed in an absolute disastrous direction. And now look at the change. It's not just wine that he provided. It is the best wine. He gives the good wine. And when he says that he saves it for last, God is saying to Israel that, yeah, God saved his best for last. The best is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the best for us. And God gave his best to you and me in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, life without Jesus Christ is like a wedding without wine. It's disastrous. And life with Christ is that much better. Jesus Christ makes everything better. He gives the best because he is absolutely superior to all. That's what John is letting us know here. This new age of the Messiah is better. It is the absolute best because Jesus... Jesus Christ is superior in every way, shape, and form. It 
it's funny because he turns to the groomsmen and he, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, nobody does this. This, this doesn't normally happen. But who was present at the wedding? Why did it happen? It happened because Jesus was there. That the normal things don't occur when Jesus is present. Because he changes things. The normal way of doing this was to give the good wine first because they could taste it. Their palates were sensitive to it. It might have had something to do with people being drunk at the end, but I don't think that's the main idea. I think it's this, they were able to taste that good wine, and then they would give the cheap stuff at the end. I mean, God reverses that. You think about what he did for this individual, and the individual doesn't even know about it. This individual, the groomsman, went from shame to praise. He's now being praised by the head waiter. Went from anger to joy. Went from no wine to good wine and a lot of it. It was headed for an absolute disaster if who wasn't there? Jesus Christ. Jesus transforms us and our situations and he makes all things good. He makes life the best because he is the best. He makes life the best because he gives us true life. My life, your life, is better today because of him. Can you testify to that? My life was headed in a certain direction, utter disaster. Who intervened? He did. There's no way I'd be standing here. I'd probably be dead by now. He makes our marriage, whatever Jesus touches, he makes better. He makes our marriages better. He makes our school better. He makes our relationships better. He makes our friendships better. He makes our work better. He does because of who he is. God gave us his best. He gave us Jesus in life with him is far more superior to anything else that this world can offer. So what happened to my fish? I know you probably weren't paying attention the entire sermon because you were concerned that I caught that fish. So the, the fight lasted for about 10 minutes. It's probably the longest 10 minutes of my life. I don't think I've ever prayed so much in my entire life. That shows you something where my priorities are. And it could have ended tragically at any moment. But the reel held up. And thanks to that reel, and of course, Kevin Lambertson, who ran over with a big fat net, I was able to land that fish. And what do you think happened to my confidence in that company? Do you think it grew? I haven't switched companies and reels ever since. And I took this, this picture was taken, and I, they had a contest. And I submitted it to the contest, and I won. Do you know why I think I won? Not because it's the awesomest picture in the world, but I won because 
They want to show people something about their product, right? They, want, they know, guys know, if your reel can handle that type of fish, that's a reel you need to buy. That's a reel you need to invest in. Confirms their claims. Folks, Jesus does the same for us. Jesus displays his power to us so that you and I learn to trust in him. Listen to the result of the miracle. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. They're probably talking about the miracle. They're just hanging out and be like, dude, that was incredible. But what was the result? It's funny because it says he manifested his glory to who? Did the bride and groom know about it? They didn't know about it. Did the head waiter know about it? He didn't know about it. Did the wedding guests know about it? They didn't know about it. Who knew about it? A few servants, his disciples, and you and me. What's he saying? Hey, this is what I can do. And if I could do this at a wedding, what do you think I can do in your life? They trusted in him. And whether God does that for us to draw us to him initially to say, hey, this is what my power, he doesn't have to do this, but he does. He confirms their belief in who he is. I remember one time I, I, I was doing homework at home and Sarah had to go to the, the doctors to get some tests done because she wasn't feeling good. I think I was doing homiletics homework or something. Pastor Dave would always give us really a lot of homiletics homework. And I needed an excuse to stop doing homiletics homework. But I, was, I was remember studying. And all of a sudden, it came to my mind, I should go and, and be with my wife. Just like that. I put my book down. I go drive and I meet Sarah. And she was given in a blood sample at the time. And we met up and took the sample, they took the sample, we went back up to the, the doctor's office, and the doctor turns to us and say, how do you guys feel about being parents? And I, I said to myself, you know, there's no way Sarah could drive at that moment, but Sarah always wanted me to be present when we heard about that news. That is, no one else really knew about that time, except for now, now all of you guys know. But it said something to me about who he was. That number one, he cares about those events in our lives. And number two, that he can, he can use his power just to put and plant a little thought in my head and bring me to where he wanted me to be at that moment. And what happened was my faith grew in him. That's what he does for us all the time. And he does it for his disciples here. He can take an empty life, he can fill it with goodness, he can take our lives that are headed towards certain disaster, and he can make them fruitful and abundant. Why? Because that's what he does. He is who he says he is. He has the power to change us. And one day, because we've trusted in him, 
we are going to walk into eternity and there's going to be another feast and there's going to be more wine and that wine is never, ever, ever going to run dry. And life with Jesus is an abundant life, a life that never runs out of wine. Father, thank you for showing us your power today. Thank you for revealing your glory to us, Lord, and help us to continue to trust and depend on you. Help us to know that we are always at the end of our resources. Help us to tell you all of our needs and concerns and help us to reveal the glory of Christ to a watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.